The following is intended only for mature audiences. Viewer discretion advised. While it's unclear exactly how many teachers have quit nationwide at this time, both Allen and Robinson agree it can be outright damaging to black communities. A Rand Corporation survey conducted earlier this year found that one in four teachers considered leaving the job, and black teachers in particular were thinking about leaving. All right, guys, welcome back, welcome back. This is Taking Chances Podcast. This is your lovely host, Justin. And Burnett. And Quentin. I feel like, you know, a common theme about our show is kind of talking about different things that are kind of affecting the world within our current pandemic. You know, we're still in this three years later. Who would have thought about it? Who would have thought? <laughs> but um, I feel like I want to sort of take it and talk about how the pandemic is affecting our education systems. You know, most people are returning to the workplace. People are returning to their jobs. People are returning to their social lives. But there's also another component about this that I feel like it's not being talked about enough is, you know, the, stu- the students and teachers turning back to the education space. You know, for about, I'd say up until last year, most people were kind of doing this rem- this hybrid learning model where some kids were doing learning online and some kids were back in school. But now the world is gearing towards bringing more kids back into school and also bringing more teachers into school. And I feel like on both sides of this, you know, we're seeing different things within the media about how it's affecting our students and how it's affecting our teachers. So for this episode, I thought it'd be pretty cool to kind of get some perspective and bring in people that are actively in the field and really just shed some light on these issues that are affecting them. So I'm going to turn it over to Burnett and Q because we have two brand new guests that I'm really excited to have. You know, they're going to be here to touch base on some of these issues and really you know, shed light on how it's affecting our people that are doing the good work. Yep. So I'll actually start with uh, someone who is near and dear to my heart. We both went to law school together. Um, So I'm going to introduce Mr. Bevin Holloway. And he's from Houston, Texas. He has roots from Trinidad. And he is, (laughs) he's a lawyer and an educator. Um, He earned his Bachelor of Arts from University of Texas at Austin. He's taught development at Columbia University's Teachers College, and he received his Juris Doctorate from Drake Law. Um, And he is honestly a trailblazer when it comes to this education thing. And I know that he has um, a lot of great plans when it comes to just thinking about how to connect education with policy. So I'm excited to hear what he has to say today on today's episode, because I think he's going to have a great perspective. Um, and then I'm going to introduce our second guest, who happens to be uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, I call her my little sister, um, Diani Love. Um, she teaches in special education. Um, she's been in education for five years and volunteered since she was at the age of 12. Um, she currently is from Brooklyn, New York, but is residing in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, she has a passion of being uh, art, dance. She has her own YouTube channel, um, which we'll probably put at the bottom of the screen. Um, and then she's just, you know, just trying to be a continuous student and just keep learning and, you know, keep teaching her students. So that's a good thing. Yeah. So we'll just bring them in. Yep. Get them on board. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. We are hey. so happy to have you on today's episode. First, I want to start by asking how both of you are doing. Tell us about a little bit about who you are, how you're doing today, and, you know, maybe share a fun fact about you guys that are listening may not know about you guys. 
Ladies first. Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, um, okay. So I am, I started off as just a special educator. I finished my master's program in 2020. So right as the pandemic started, I finished my master's program. Right <laughs> um, so now I am dual certified in special education and general ed. Um, currently, I, I was teaching in an actual classroom as a special education teacher, but now I'm more of an admin position. So now I have the opportunity to um, conduct IEP meetings for K through eight in my school. And I also basically work for the city of Baltimore. So handling all of the IEP program and special education programs, that department in my school. Um, it is rough. <laughs> I really miss the classroom, but um, yeah, uh, fun fact about me. Hmm, something juicy. Fun fact about me. I am becoming very open-minded with food. I'm very open-minded with food. I will try just about anything at this point. Just because. Nice. Oh, yeah. uh, quick question before we jump to seven real quick. <laughs> you mentioned IEP. For the listeners that don't know what that is, you mind just telling us? Sure. So an IEP is a acronym for individual individualized education program or plan. Um, it's usually particular to that student who has special needs. So any student that qualifies for special education gets an IEP um, or a 504, which is just like a form that kind of says like what supports they get in the classroom or what special education they, services they'll get in and outside the classroom that is general education settings for them. Um, and it's designed with a team, including their parent, um, their general education teacher, special education teacher. It involves a lot of evaluations, assessments, um, and reports being conducted before it's finalized. And it's a it's a continuous document, pretty much. So it, it follows the student for as long as they qualify for special education throughout their entire education career. If I'm not mistaken, I, I do believe it stopped at college, but that's the United States for you. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. Uh, Bevin? Well, one, I want to say I'm jealous that you're out the classroom. She said she missed the classroom. I'm like, take me to out the classroom. <laughs> and then I also want to add when she was um, talking about the IEPs and the 504, like she she did it in a cute way. <laughs> but if a teacher received a 504, it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, you know, because you <laughs> <laughs> with IEPs, you know, with the kids with different needs, um, that that's okay. You know, they have different needs. You just got to accommodate and modify their work. But with the 504 plan, it's more like the bad kids. <laughs> so every time I get that, I'm like, oh, my gosh. But either which way, how y'all doing? I am Bevan Holloway. I'm from Houston, Texas. I did my undergrad at UT Austin, and I didn't major in education. I just said, you know, I need a job. <laughs> and I thought that, I thought that teaching was going to be easy. I'm just going to do it for a little bit and, you know, transition on. But I actually love it. And I, it's a lot harder than you would expect. And I taught at a charter school for two years, went to law school with Burnett, and then I returned to education at the Houston Independent School District. And um, I am the ELAR teacher for the GT students. I'm uh, the ELAR department chair for six through eight and an effective practice specialist. So I coach a cohort of teachers on how to teach. And uh, hopefully, <laughs> you know, I could transition out of that. You know, either I could transition out of that and join Miss Love in admin or something else in a different capacity. 
Nice. Y'all got some impressive uh, resumes. Yeah. I want to see that. Like, I feel like we have two sides of just just solid experience here. Like, I definitely, before we, before we even get to the, the, the bread and butter of this interview, I definitely want to cheers to you two because this is just, this, 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 this wow. <laughs> <laughs> the terminologies, the experience, like, Love to see it, guys. We're already <laughs> learning, and we're not yeah. even 10 minutes in. Like, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, Wait, can I just shout out? I heard him shout out his alma mater, so I had a shout out. I am from the first degree granting HBCU. I am proud alumnus of Lincoln University of Pennsylvania. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it's Black History Month, so they want us to wear HBCU shirts on Monday. So if you got a Lincoln shirt, just, you know, I'll send you my address. Just send it. <laughs> <laughs> I got you, Bevan. I got you. I'm going to send you a Lincoln tee. It's funny because uh, it's, I'm actually, in my professional capacity, planning a program with Lincoln that's happening this week. Uh, it's going to honor a Lincoln University alum by the name of Franklin Williams. Um, okay. He was a ambassador. He worked with Thurgood Marshall. Um, he was a part of the Peace Corps. He helped start the Peace Corps. And... Um, he argued so many important cases. There is like a case in Florida called uh, the Groveling Four. They were wrongfully convicted of, I believe, raping, sexually assaulting women. And he was one of the lead lawyers on that case. But he is an alum of Lincoln. And so my job, we've worked on this really great program this week to uh, showcase him. So yes, I, I and it's been such a pleasure to work with Lincoln University. So I just want to say that. Don't, don't stop. Don't do that to us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sorry. guys. No, no. The pandemic. So within the pandemic right now, we're sort of seeing the world coming back to the new normal, as I like to say, because the old normal is sort of dead. But, you know, we're seeing a lot of teachers walking away from their roles. You know, we kind of wanted to sort of gauge just what the classroom looks like within the pandemic nowadays, kind of the experience of you both as educators within this sphere and sort of just talk about different issues or different things that people might not even realize that may be going on. So I wanted to run a fact about you guys before I ask you the first question. So the National Education Association representing nearly 3 million educators recently released its latest survey conducted in January 2022 so in the 90% of educators are responding that burnout is a serious problem for them. What do you say to that? You want to go, Bethany, or you want me to go? I, I can go. Go ahead. Um, go ahead. Burnout is real. <laughs> um, I feel like, especially for the teachers that, so well, well, first of all, I feel like with education, you definitely get work-life balance. You get... Um, weekends off, you get holidays off, you get the summer off, and you're paid. So that's great. Um, however, some teachers definitely do summer school and different programs and Saturday school and tutorials and all those different things. And I feel like the ones that do summer school, they feel that burnout a lot more because you have to finish up that summer school program and come back for the fall semester and just give it 100%. And those are teachers that I see kind of like dwindle down a little faster than the rest. I feel like that summertime does help you with preventing burnout. 
But sometimes, depending on the school district you're in, that summer's just not enough time. So, you know, I feel like all teachers experience the burnout just because kids can be a challenge to deal with and it's a challenge every day. So I would agree that that is something that is real. What do you think, uh, Miss Love? <laughs> Um, I can say, so there's two sides, there's two points I'm going to make. Um, one being personal because I've experienced burnout personally to the point where I almost ended up in a hospital. So I worked at an all-black school, um, black-led, black-run, black-owned school. Um, and a lot of those holidays that many schools get, and this was, when I, this was when I was in New York and up until I want to say last May. In this school, they we don't celebrate a lot of those holidays that a lot of city or public school get off. Um, when people get off for the summertime, you get two months off. No, we got three weeks off, and we were right back at it again for PDs. Um, and also, too, we were also having a lot of data-driven meetings. So imagine your day, especially if it starts at 7.15 with a staff meeting at 7.15 and your day ends at 5.30. So that's a drag. And, you know, you have your kids until about 4.30. If not, unless their parents is late, then that's even longer. Um, those type of situations kind of, you experience burnout a lot more. I was totally committed to my school. I mean, I love the vision, the drive. Like I was there consistently. There would be days I'd stay till sometimes 7 p.m. because I knew the staff, you know, the custodial staff, so they would let me, you know, if I was printing assessments and it got to the point where I was so accustomed to just running that I didn't realize my body had given out. I went to the doctor one day because I had a steady cold, like I had a steady cough that was really bad. Um, I kept getting headaches, but to me, I'm kind of like, I have a high pain tolerance. So I went to the doctor one day because I didn't want to take any days off, but I, I took something told me to take this day off. I took it off, and I went to the doctor. She said, "Miss Love, you were literally—if you had waited one more week, you would have been in the hospital." I had walking pneumonia. I had no idea, and my behind was still trying to come to work. And my chief of staff was sending me home. She was like, "Listen, I understand you may feel like you don't have the days, whatever." She was like, "But I'm vouching for you. You have to stay home." And burnout is real. Teachers do not. People will believe that teachers literally have to teach kids or that we're glorified babysitters for lack of terms but it's a lot more there's a lot of data it's a lot of numbers a lot of authentic creation of work that has to get done or a lot of having patience to collaborate with parents admin students students are accustomed to a different belief this generation very different (laughs) very different than what we were raised on so it's a lot that you're grappling with and I think the pandemic didn't help because a lot of parents now have either given up or now feel that they can do your job that you have gone to school to do. So it it's a lot of different ways to look at it. I wanna I wanna follow up to something you just said, and I'm glad you brought up the pandemic aspect because I feel like nowadays the role of teacher, student, and parent they're sort of becoming intertwined, and I feel like you know in this time that students and teachers and parents got to be at home sort of the role shifted or whatnot so how do you feel like the pandemic sort of contributed to that burnout and just the whole breakdown of teacher student and parent <laughs> well before before they answer justin i'll also say that i commend teachers because to be a teacher some of these teachers have children and then to yes. teach and be stuck home with your child like that's that's the dual role so that so some teachers probably would experience that burnout even fast, even quicker, because they have to now deal with the child that's already in the home trying to learn and teach kids. So it's, it's a lot, it's a lot. So 
just to take that into I'll consideration. Say, I'll say it's a bunch of bullshit. So I really, the reason I became a teacher was because I had great teachers my entire life. I can think of maybe three white teachers that I've had. Majority of my teachers in my lifetime have been black. Looked like me, came up in the same neighborhood as me, so they understood. That's not what's going on right now in the pandemic. There's a lot of teachers who are giving up because parents are either super combative and it's like, well, you're teaching my child this. And because they're so focused and stuck on their way of learning or their style of how I grew up and how I should be raising my child, that me now policing your child or trying to teach your child a different style of learning doesn't work with what you're used to. So now you're trying to teach your child what I'm doing. And then on top of that, there's also the student who feels, I don't have to listen to you. My mommy said, my mommy said, boop, 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 and all this. I don't got to listen to you because I've been home with mommy for two years. And for children who are in kindergarten, this is their first school experience, a lot of them, period. So they have no social skills. So it's a lot of reorganizing what it looks like to be in the classroom, a lot of reteaching and a lot of self-reflection because you have to consistently as a teacher remind yourself, this is because they've been home. This is because they have been home. It's not that they don't know, but it's because they've been home. So because you are now reprogrammed to do whatever you're used to doing at home and possibly, you know, like staring through a computer or talking to a piece of paper and just trying to learn anything, you've forgotten all what it means to be in a physical setting. So it's a lot of free teaching, but also a lot of bullshit because you have people who want to do your job for you curse you out and think that you're supposed to take it. I don't get paid enough for this, but I digress. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. It's so funny you say that because uh, one of my friends who's also in the education field, I remember he sent me um, this photo where a parent was pretty much going off on the school and she ended the email saying, I hope you have the day you deserve. And I was like, oh, I never heard that before. Like, like, I hope you had the day you deserve. Like, that's a read. Like, not have a good day. No, the day you deserve. I was like, are these parents getting fancy? I gotta put that one in my book to use. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely might take that might end up in an email per my previous email. <laughs> I hope you have the day you deserve. <laughs> Dev, what's your take on this question from Houston? Well, well, first, Miss Love, what, what grade you teach or taught? Um, I've taught kindergarten, first grade, second grade. I've had fourth grade. I'm currently servicing third grade. So anything pretty much K to five so far, but I've supported with middle school. Yeah, so when you were speaking, I was like, she must teach the younger kids. Cause I feel like that is definitely a, more of a struggle because during the pandemic, just like how um, Quentin was saying, like there's families to where you might have to teach, but you also have kids at home that you gotta teach. I was homeschooling my little brother. My mom started all the way over. So I have a brother 20 years younger than me. So um, he's in the second grade and I was homeschooling him and just trying to <clears throat> get him engaged with this computer screen was a challenge. And I would have thought that you've been great at it. You're always on your tablet. You know, this generation is so, you know, used to navigating things. 
and it's hard to keep his attention. It's hard to, you know, for him to follow along. It's hard for him to learn how to write and hold a pencil because that's what they learn at those at that age when the teacher's on the other side of the screen. So I definitely know what you're talking about. Um, however, I teach eighth grade, so. That's like, for all people that's not in education, that's like the baddest of the baddest age group. But they are funny. <laughs> like, they are hilarious. They're big babies, even though they think they're grown. And you can actually hold a conversation with them. They're funny. Now, um, to answer the question about how the pandemic has affected um, teaching, especially with this whole hybrid world, um, this last year was my first year teaching virtually. So I definitely had to learn the platforms and I had to figure out like, how can I be effective? And I feel like I did a good job. Like I feel like I did a good job conveying myself. I did a good job of trying to keep the kids that did come to class engaged. However, you know, there's real life situations. Like you don't have parents at home to hold the kids accountable, or you got parents at home that are saying they're holding the kids accountable, but they also calling their kids to come and wash the dishes and sink. And they're not understanding that you need to respect this instructional time. Or if, you know, the student don't want to follow along or turn your camera on or, hey, go ahead and go into your uh, notebook and do whatever. And now you got to call a parent. Parent think it's okay to discipline them in front of the class virtually and we don't need all that either. So I feel like the, the virtual world just made it a little interesting. You're able to connect with the parents in a different way. You see all up in their home. They want to, you know, be a part of you know, the lesson sometimes, and it could be a little annoying, but I haven't had too many issues with parents. Cause I feel like since I teach eighth grade, I could actually, you know, talk to them and get them together without too much hands-on with the parent. The only time I had an issue with a parent was last year and she had a whole issue on the novel that I chose. So I chose this novel called The Absolute True Diary of Part-Time Indian. It was about this Native American boy, who is a really good boy. It's, it's this Native American boy that lived on a reservation and he was grappling with his identity there, but then he wanted a better quality education. So he went to an all white school that had a better quality education. And since it was a diary, you'll get his personal thoughts. So he's in, and he was in the eighth grade. So he's cursing, he's talking about puberty and other stuff, you know? So it's like when he's having all these conversations in his diary, the kids love the book because they can relate to him and stuff like that. But then when parents of a different generation are looking like, well, this book says the word damn in it, how do you have my kid reading this? And I'm looking like, well, this is the GC class and the other teachers is, so what you gonna do? <laughs> I mean, and SPED is like for the special ed department. So it's like, they, they, I don't agree with the way that they do stuff in my current school. I, I like when they mix the classes to where you have, you know, um, kids of different levels in a classroom because they can learn from each other. But at my campus, they have all the GT kids in one class, all the lower kids in one class, they have clusters. So, so that's more traditional. Yeah, and I don't really like it because I feel like if you're in a room where all the kids are low, how are you gonna grow, you know? So I don't care for it. But I was telling the parent, like, you know, I'm not changing my book. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, I mean, either you could purchase <laughs> the book without those words in it, or you could put her in a different class. However, those classes are gonna be sped kids <laughs> or, you know, my left kids that don't speak English, so what you gonna do? So it's like, that's the only time I had an issue with a parent. But other than that, parents weren't the issue. It was really the kids that did not attend all year. <laughs> like they would just not log in. 
Um, and uh, it would be admin as well that would want to hop in your room and be like, well, your board is not updated and you don't have anchor charts. I'm like, the kids are at home. <laughs> I'm like, you want us to do all these things and decorate our room and all that? There's nobody in my room. <laughs> so I'm just like, you're adding all these tasks for us to do and it doesn't make sense. You know, so it's like, I feel like with the school trying to figure out how the year looks when things are virtual was a growing pain for the teachers because it's like half this stuff don't make sense to do because the kids are not here and stuff that we should be doing y'all not even thinking about it because y'all didn't take the time to brainstorm you know what it would look like so i would just say that that was more so the issue for me it wasn't um like the kids because they were of age to kind of like know how to type and know how to communicate with people so would you guys say like is it fair to say that a lot of children are kind of just being passed on to the next level without even meeting their requirements? Not in Miss Alloy class. <laughs> I, can, I can speak to that. So when lockdown first started, my class, I had inherited my class, and this is when I was teaching second grade. I want to say this is maybe like my third year teaching. I inherited um, my class from because so many teachers had left. And they, I had no data. So when I mean data, I had no test scores for them. I had no current reading levels for them. I had to start from scratch for them in March. So I, my class became. I just wanted to comment right there. So for people that's not teachers, usually when you get that previous year's data, you know how to work with your kids. Start your year, right. data where your kids are below level, you know those are your focus kids to where you're gonna try to push for those kids. And if you don't have no data, it's like, well, let's just see, you know, what we got. But my bad. No, no, no. That was that was very good, uh, very good access that you need to put in. So I had inherited those students and my class became the guinea pig class. So we had to figure out I had to figure out how to do reading assessments via Zoom. I had to figure out how to do um, regular assessments. So this is writing, this is math, reading, social studies, all of it via Zoom and then still grade it, send it, come up with progress report. I say all this to say it became difficult because that first, those first couple months of the pandemic, and I want to say we were only in school maybe three or four after that, it became difficult because I had to, I had just inherited a class. I had to figure out now how to have conversations with parents about retention. So retention, meaning if they're going to get left back. How do you have a conversation with somebody's parent during a pandemic while people are dying left and right, people are sick, you have children who are in the house with sick parents barely able to get their kids on what they are, for me to tell you that you have to, I have to leave your child back because they cannot perform. So many of those conversations happened those first two years of the pandemic that stressed teachers out because schools after a while were not trying to hear the whole conversation of, oh, well, it's a pandemic and we need you. Like, I know my firsthand experience is starting to become, I'm sorry, Miss Love, you have to have that conversation. And then you have the teacher like me who's like, how? Miss Love, in New York or Maryland, does the state assessment count for y'all in these last so, two years? In, in New York, well, I just moved to Baltimore, but in New York, I know grade three assessments, state assessments is when it starts. So I remember I had second grade, so they had only school-wide assessments. So I was going off school-wide assessments, informal data such as classwork, and also where they were reading level-wide. So if they were above or on reading level, then 
they were safe and based on how they performed on their school-wide assessments. But to answer your question, it starts third grade for New York. And I think Baltimore here is um, third grade as well. Those are statewide sex assessments. That's when they count. I was asking because when you were talking about like retention and stuff, I know here in Texas, the STAR exam for eighth grade is what determines that and your GPA or your final report cards what determines if you go to high school or not. But since we were in a pandemic, they decided to not make those scores count. So then a lot of students were able to opt in or opt out of even taking the STAR. So then it all relied on your report card or like the reading assessment to see if you're on grade level, like you said. Um, and for some that was okay, but for some it wasn't because if they're looking like, well, I'm not gonna take the STAR, then I just gotta you know worry about passing that last report card, <laughs> even I've been feeling on you. <laughs> so it's like, it, I don't know, it has pros and cons. It was a similar, a similar experience over here in New York, I know. I think the first year of the pandemic, the first and possibly the second year they were thinking about it, the assessments were nicked. Like, I think the second going to the third year, well, this is third year, going into the second year, it became optional. But I know the first year they wiped all of New York's assessment. They were like, listen, we can't, we can't ask students to take this assessment. But I know moving towards like year two and now this year, they were like, listen, that's not an option no more. Like now you got to figure it out. Y'all are responsible. So I know that was the issue. So for the first year, it was school-wide assessments. Yeah, I know here in Texas, which makes no sense, they decided after the pandemic to change the format of the state administered test. Did they do that with y'all too? I don't remember. <laughs> that was so long ago. No, I'm talking, I about, I'm talking about this year. <laughs> like there, I know here in Texas, um, we've always had the format where the students had like, you know, the, well for eighth grade, they had their reading test. Well, for ELA, they'll you know do the reading test, multiple choice, you know maybe some short answers, stuff like that. But they're changing that whole format to where now the kids have to do analysis, they have to do grammar, and they have to do all these different things to pass to go to the ninth grade. And they haven't been in school, you know, during the pandemic, or you know, there's a lot of gaps in learning. So I just didn't think it was smart for Texas to say, well, hey, let's go ahead and make the standardized test even harder now, even though they haven't been in school. So I just didn't know if I was the only experiencing that, and it sounded like I am. <laughs> well, as I mean, I know as far as digital formatting like they they're right now they have them doing it strictly but digital mm -hmm. so they they get their tickets and stuff like printed for the assessment but the actual test is online that's what i do know as far as changing the formatting for questions and stuff i'm not sure yeah yeah we've transitioned to digital which haven't been too bad um but it's the formatting like like mind you expository essays were not on the standardized test and now they're required to expository essays grammar you said what? These kids can't write. At all. How are you expository <laughs> on anything? That's why Mr. Holloway doing expository writing workshops on Wednesdays because y'all yeah, don't know how to write. And now they are looking at your writing to make sure that you go and pass your test to go to ninth grade. And then also with grammar and you know conjugating words and all that different stuff. This is not something that we had to do in the eighth grade during the whole time I've taught. Um, like we did vocabulary lessons and stuff like that, but it wasn't necessarily tested on the STAR or that, which is our state administered test. But now they're being tested on the STAR for grammar. They'd be a test on the STAR for their expository essays and analysis and all this different stuff. And it's like, how? <laughs> when they were literally coming out of a pandemic where kids have not even either been in the classroom or there's a huge gap in their learning, but now we want to 
like raise the rigor of the tip. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. However, you know, I'm not, you know, that's above my pay grade. So I just, you know, I do what I Love do. Love your tax <laughs> So I actually have a question for you, Bevan, because Diani raised a really good point about being in the epicenter of the pandemic when it took place and people are dying left and right. So you kind of have to deal with the two realities of what's happening in school, but also what's happening around you. So a year ago, when um, around this time, I think in Texas, it was the freeze, right? When you guys had the power crisis. How did you- Chris Christie was out of the country. Oh yeah. He was like- <laughs> 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 but, uh, People had the receipts. <laughs> they had the receipts when he was at the airport. But um, yeah, you guys suffered the freeze like a year ago this time. And that's on top of the pandemic. How did you manage getting through that as an educator? Well, so with the pandemic, of course, I would definitely try to understand, you know, what the students are going through, you know, because if, if students were exposed, they, so with my school last year, we did hybrid learning. So majority of the campus was virtual and I will literally have some classes where I'll have like two in-person students, which is lovely, but <laughs> you know, I only have like two in-person students. And like, let's say if I had a class where someone was exposed to something at home or whatever, they would now have to go home. But since I taught on my computer virtually, whether you were in person or not during that time, with them going home, there's really no need for that. You're not gonna miss a beat because you're gonna still log in like you usually do in the classroom. You're just gonna do it now at home. So I would just kind of, you know, push them to, you know, keep, you know, um, keeping up with everything. And then if the kid themselves was like really, really sick to where they couldn't do it, I wasn't the type of teacher that was like, hey, this assessment is due today. After that, that's it. Like I will keep the assignment up. So you have all the time to complete it, you know, before I grade it and put it in. So there's really no excuse why you couldn't get to that assignment and do it because I'm offering it for you. And I'm also offering reassessment. So if you didn't really do so well before that grading cycle, we're gonna have a flex day. I'm gonna go ahead and give you these assignments that I'm gonna do a little quick little reteach. I'm gonna give you these assignments so you can make up your grade, boost your grade. Like you just have to kind of get creative with providing all the opportunities for learning, but also opportunities to show that they're achieving so you won't have kids falling behind just because we wanna use the excuse of it's the pandemic and they're not learning and all that different stuff. Um, outside of the pandemic with the freeze, I was out of town, you know, I did, you know, I was, I was, I went to DC for the weekend. It was supposed to be the weekend trip, but you know, I wasn't complaining when, you know, that weekend turned to a week. I'm like, oh, shit, you know, but, you know, so I went to DC for a weekend. I was hanging with my friends and then when the freeze happened, you know, I'm following everything on social media. I'm looking at my school district to see, are they closing down? So every day they'll let you know if they're opening up or not. So I will literally just kind of go to the site and just share that information on Microsoft Teams in the general posts of my students or on my teacher Instagram page, on my story and stuff like that so the kids can know, oh, we're not going to school today. We're not going to school today. And I would, um, and we weren't supposed to deliver any instruction, but the good thing is that we had a lot of, assessments and we also had a project that we were doing before that freeze so it gave them more time to complete their project it gave them time to complete those assessments that they weren't doing in class so i was just kind of like pushing to get something like just basically kind of fill those gaps before we came back to to school just kind of you know letting them know that 
yeah, you're at home, yeah, there's a freeze, but we're gonna get back to school. You don't wanna fall behind, use this time to catch up. You know, use this time to complete those assignments that you didn't do while I was there. Or, you know, just, you know, trying to keep on motivating them to get stuff done. So the freeze was great <laughs> because it allowed, <laughs> it allowed them to catch up. It allowed me to go on a week break without taking away from my time. So, you know, I loved it. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for both of you guys actually. So I think um I think the most the most shocking part of you know hearing both of your perspectives is that a lot was put on the backs of teachers during the pandemic. I mean, you know, just from the outside and it kind of seemed like, you know, the school systems were kind of scrambling to kind of figure out what to do as far as vaccination statuses or masks or mitigation strategies, staff outages, staff shortages. Do you guys think that, you know, as teachers who basically are out there doing the work of what the administrations, what the school systems should be really doing, do you guys feel like, are you concerned for the future? Are there things that you kind of feel like are kind of, you know, going for the worst end? Are you think are there things that are kind of being better? It was a shit show before, and it's going to be a shit show after. <laughs> At this point, there are no teachers. Literally 75% of our country's population of teachers is gone. They've either retired or quit. And on top of that, nobody respects teachers. We don't get paid. We don't. They barely want us to take any days off. We are tired. Mama is tired over here, okay? Like... I've had enough. I've had enough of the United States. At this point, what education? The kids can learn off YouTube like the rest of us. YouTube University. Start charging for it at this point. I mean, you never know. (laughs) But I mean, it's... I I just think that it... One, you know, I think... I wouldn't give more power and just more shout outs to you guys because you guys are really dealing with a lot. You know, you guys are looked to educate students, but also you guys are looked to essentially be the administrative figures behind how students pursue and receive their educations. I mean, you have to adapt to teaching within a virtual setting and you have to adapt to teaching within a hybrid setting and you have to adapt to sort of dealing with the mental state of being with some of the students and even their parents. And I just think that it's really shocking to, to just hear that, at least, at least what I'm getting or gathering is that the administrative side of the schools that you guys support aren't really stepping up to really give you guys the resources or, as you said, the pay and the time to deal with all these things. But so. even to add to that, though, what about critical race theory? I mean, are you guys experiencing that, having to not be able to teach essentially American history to your students because it's being censored. Yeah. So go ahead. No, Bevan, go ahead. I'm gonna answer go the ahead. first part and I'm gonna answer the second part. The first part of, you know, they you're feeling like the school is just putting everything on the teachers back. I feel like my experiences are different because of the schools I taught in. So at Yes Prep, it was a public charter school that was literally on a shit. <laughs> like, I mean, my principal, she was her, she got her, you know, education from Columbia and the um, the AP was, you know, guys education from Harvard. And I had other teachers on my grade level that went to Stanford and stuff where I'm looking like, I mean, is UT like, wait a minute, you know, but, you know, so it's like, you know, they definitely came in and they were very well qualified. And then at this 
charter school, you had a dean of instruction and you had an instructional coach and both of them were on your ass. Like they were making sure that you were on it, that you were, you know, keeping up with everything, that you're pushing the kids forward and it's college readiness and all this different stuff to where they had the support. And even though I wasn't working there during the pandemic, I had friends that were still working there. And even when I heard how they took the approach to the pandemic, I was like, oh, that is smart. And I'm like, you know, why are we doing this? However, I'm at, you know, public school now. And um, <laughs> the school that I'm at, you could tell that in my head coming in, I'm like, there's a lot of holes in your routines and your procedures and your policies and stuff. And I could tell that this was like this before the pandemic, that y'all were struggling before. So, you know, you go over there and it's literally just like, just figure it out and just roll with the punches and nobody's really there to support you. And I felt very bad for the first year teachers last year because at least with me, I came from YesPrev with all my resources and I knew how to teach and all that. So it's like, all I really had to learn was how am I gonna take my experience of being in the classroom and make it virtual? So after you teach me how to use that platform, I'm good. But these other teachers, they didn't know nothing. Like, and the admin, everybody was so focused on so many other things to where they would be in the classroom just winging it and just not even doing what they're supposed to be doing. And then at the end of the year, when all the kids are failing, that's when admin want to pop up and like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And then they're getting on the teacher for not knowing what to do when they weren't there to support them the whole year. So um, I would just say that to answer your question. And then with Burnett, with the uh, critical race theory question, I just feel like I'm gonna do what I wanna do. <laughs> so, <laughs> period. So it's just, <laughs> but I'm gonna do what I wanna do. So, you know, at, at the school that I'm at right now, since they're all over the damn place, it's like, since I had really good resources, because with my units, my goal was to introduce the students to different cultures and you know make them really think deeper about their society and stuff like that so i would have a unit and, and not just all about blackness i would give them a plethora of cultures we had we had part-time indian like i said with native americans we had persepolis about the the you know is islamic republic we had you know um house on mango street talking about a latino girl and her struggles i will really try to touch on different cultures and stuff like that that's what i brought from yes prep at this school they didn't require novels they didn't require none of that and then even when i was going through their curriculum i'm like am i teaching eighth grade or fifth you know because a lot of this stuff that you're giving me is so watered down and there's no rigor at all to where i didn't even i didn't even touch their material <laughs> i literally just brought my material and just do what I had to do. And I definitely got a lot of pushback throughout this semester. And they were like, well, we need you to do this, we need you to do that. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do it. I ain't doing this shit, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. And then when my scores came, and then my scores were higher than the district and the campus, then they left me alone because I know what I'm doing. So I'm gonna do what I wanna do is the answer to that question. The boldness for me. It's for me too. <laughs> <laughs> I can do what I want to do, and can't nobody tell me what to do. Mm. That's what it's for me. I want to say, um, I think it depends as far as critical race theory. I think it depends on the school and the district that you're in. Um, my first school told you it was completely black, so. 90 point, 98.8% of our population with all chocolate folks. 
there was probably like 0.5% that were probably of the Caucasian and everything else in between was that percentage. This school that I'm at now, um, I want to say it's a large amount, I want to say 75% Black or uh, Latino and probably the rest is of Caucasian kids. So the difference between the two, my first school, it was completely about the culture, dominant culture, which was predominantly Black culture. So really exposing what's not told about American history, the side that they don't care to put in textbook, which is our entire history, our entire life, existence on earth is not in a history book, other than what's publicized for the TV. So the actual figures that are always televised. But in this school, it's a little bit difficult because I, being that I only do services now, I get to pop into different classrooms. So I'll, sometimes I'll sit and I observe, and I have observed that some of my coworkers who are teachers are experiencing trouble now because as they are starting to encourage um, teaching the culture now of our people to the classrooms, which are mixed of the, the mixed in diversity, some of the parents who are not of our culture are starting now to kind of pitch a fit and it's like what about knowing a history that's not yours bothers you so much it's nothing like there's no knowledge is bad knowledge so for you for it to bother you so much to the point that you are contacting the teacher oh I don't want my kids learning about this or reading this it's not going to change anything your child still has to engage with these people your child still has to engage with the idea of the history your child is now a part of history so you telling your child that you're not comfortable with them learning information about somebody of a different race because you don't agree with how brutal it is, is your problem. That's where I'm at. And I tell my, my boss all the time, one thing I'm going to do, I'm going to preach about my folks. Okay. I was, brought up, I was brought up in a culture and a church where I had no choice but to learn my history. And the fact that I know students who don't know what I know, I'm going to keep telling them. You're going to have to have an attitude. I don't care if your kid is orange, green, polka dot striped. Everybody going to know about the chocolate folk because we have a story to tell. Amen. The thing with you is that your pushback is just coming from the parents. Here in Texas, they're passing bills and laws saying, you know. Oh, New York's not about to do that. New York's not doing that. Baltimore's not doing that. We had, a, we had a, a department chair meeting, I think like maybe, I think it was last month and they pulled it up and they shared the screen. We're going over, you know, the stuff. And of course, you know, since I went to law school, I was trying to break down what it meant to them. And it was basically saying that all of the sensitive topics, controversial topics, they want to stray away from them. And they were saying that they kind of like wanted you to be neutral. Like you can't really, you know, push on the left or the right or anything, just kind of be neutral. And their suggestion was, you know, instead of using, you know, books, you know, with different, you know, people of different races, you know, maybe look into books, you know, about like, you know, cartoon characters and animals because, you know, they don't have races. And I'm like, the fuck are they talking about? Like, like I'm just looking like, what? Like, you know, but. but that may, I have a question though. That makes me think now because that now starts to move into the same territory where people are dancing around gender and identity. So you don't want people to acknowledge race but you also want people not to acknowledge that there's now this whole conversation about gender uh, gender identity. There's a whole lot of identity that is being ignored. 
Yeah. I have a I have a, a follow-up to that, what you just said. I think it's interesting because I haven't had the opportunity to go to Texas, but I do know that there Texas is a very diverse, you know, state. You know, there's a rich culture of, you know, Spanish and Latino. There's a culture of black people. I, you know, I just I'm kind of curious as to why there's such a just I get why there's such interest in really just abstaining from teaching you know texas is true history because it's really made up of a diverse background so why is it that there's such a pushback upon you know educating people about those backgrounds Republican. i mean i was gonna say that i mean i feel like texas is a republic confederate yeah it's a very republican a very conservative state and they don't want to you know do too much you know they don't but, want to do too much but also sorry to interject justin Think about where the last sla- where the last slaves were to find out that they were freed in Galveston. That's Texas. That's so, a <laughs> think to all types of any type of any type of change of thought, any any form of divergent thinking leads to a spark of divergence. Period. So that means change, a consistent change, and most of the time, change can lead to outbreak of rebellion. Um, change of laws, all types of negative things that they want to stray away from because they know like a power comes from divergence and usually divergence means difference. So mm. and of course you know that Confederate a Confederate state cannot have divergence. That's just not a thing. But I mean, I, I think the potential is definitely there, though. I mean, we've we seen what happened with Georgia. Georgia was, was, was traditionally a red state, but that ended up being one of the deciding factors of the last election. So I don't know. But, I was always curious about but that. You gotta, but you got to remember, Justin, Georgia, outside of the the city which encompasses Atlanta, everything else is Confederate. Everything else is Confederate. Yeah. So it's it's one city that, that houses the, is the most populous of our, our skin. And then everything else is Confederate. So it depends on. It's just like New York. New York is the same way. New York City is all Democrat, completely, all, all completely complete. Democrat. Right. And if you go outside of New York, right you have right you have the Confederates. You have you know they they raise a different flag. It's just that happens and that they, they, and they wave so, it proudly. Right. It's this the fact that New York City is so dense with people that we are the we are the majority. So whichever way that we vote is the literally the way that the state goes. So. I mean, New York City by itself is about a large amount of the state, honestly. So, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's it's one of those situations. So no one can really like out you know outvote New York City unless you move them, which is what they're trying to do. Which is a whole nother topic, which is a could be a whole nother episode. But you know. Yeah, not in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing all this. I'm sorry. It's beautiful, but not here. <laughs> do you guys feel like with everything that we talked about in mind, what sorts of things do you want to see come out of all this? You know, now that people are getting adjusted to the new normal, now that kids are back in schools, now that parents don't have to be, you know, the everything per se for their kids. What what do you, what sort of things do you want to see come out of this new period right now? I'm gonna go with one accountability. I need accountability to return to parents. Um, 
and not just in the sense of like parents have been losing their minds lately but there's so much that schools have now taken on schools have been going through so much with trying to adjust schools have now taken on the role of parenthood so parents are now taking on the role of freedom meaning they don't have to do anything that's a problem because it now leaves place for parents to kind of do the bare minimum and secondly I want to say mental health I think since the pandemic has started mental health has now become a top tier focus for me as for children and adults um children have been facing a lot of abuse at home during this pandemic and then that abuse now kind of projects onto whoever they are interacting with whether it be other children or whether it be adults including teachers admin parents everybody there's a level of mental health that is not being examined because of the pandemic it's kind of just like a the state of still what happens at home stays at home has still been happening because it's so much going on you don't have the time to kind of check in and be like hey i saw you whooping boo-boo's kitties behind she showed up with half her head missing on the camera i'm concerned it's kind of like a is everything okay all right can you turn in your homework like it it, it has to be like uh, i think we have to re- in order for us to return to normalcy we have to acknowledge the elephants in the room and that parents holding them holding parents back to being accountable your child's failing because I need you to do this and this this homework is not done I need a level of accountability to be had and I also need for mental health to be checked in again it seems like we've checked out on mental health it's always been a taboo kind of thing not just for a race but as a people period mental health has always been a taboo because you don't want to seem crazy crazy is very evident at the moment insanity is evident and running rampant right now because of the pandemic so I'm off my soapbox off my soapbox <laughs> I agree that accountability and mental health are important um, to see as like, you know, a big takeaway from this pandemic experience. Um, Me, I am definitely very optimistic. So I'm looking at the situation. I'm like, you know, we could have learned a lot during this situation. I feel like, mind you, eighth graders, they didn't know how to email before. <laughs> like, like even when I'm like, y'all shoot me an email. They're like, what's that? I'm like, really? You know, like, and then when they doing an email, they're putting the whole body of the email in the subject line. I'm like, oh, that's so cute. You know, so it's just like learning how to use digital platforms and how to email and how to like do things online and actually use a computer and learning how to type and stuff like that. That's going to be essential for college. You walk around, you go to your lecture halls with your laptop. I feel like they're getting a head start on how to use their computers in an educational environment. So I feel like that is, you know, great. I would like to see them continue to use them skills, you know, after this. Um, I would love to see, let's see, some other optimistic things. I would love to see parents actually understanding what all goes into teaching because even with my mom, for example, with my little brother, she had to be the one to be the at-home person to keep him up with his classes. And then she's looking like, well, I don't even remember this stuff. You know, so it's like when they're starting to realize teaching is not just playing a video and asking some questions, You, it's a, it's, it's a skill behind this, you know, where we, we were certified in this. This is something that we do. Now they're realizing, okay, well, you know, I can actually trust that my teacher know what they're doing. So that's another optimistic hope that I would want from, you know, coming out of this pandemic. 
you know, the parents understanding that teachers actually do their job and know what they're doing. And we can actually trust that this does take time and patience and a skill because when your kid was at home and you had to do it, they couldn't do it. So, you know, we're not just daycare providers watching them, we're actually doing something. So, you know, that, um, the tech skills that students learn and also the skills that the teachers learn. I feel like I've, I didn't have to teach virtually. So now that I know how to teach virtually and I'm familiar with different platforms like Microsoft Teams and Zoom and all this different stuff, why not embed that into my classes moving forward, whether we're all in person or not? Like I feel like having those technical components will make school and class engaging, especially with this generation of kids that are always glued to their phone. Let's stay glued to your phone with the class material, you know, let's go ahead and, you know, have workstations where you might be able to do something with videos or do something on, you know, Kahoot or whatever, um, and just kind of keep class engaged. So I feel like class engagement, you know, parents, you know, uh, actually respecting what we're doing and, and supporting what we're doing. Um, kids, you know, growing with their digital um, competencies and all those different things. I feel like that's what I like to see coming out of this. Like these, this generation of kids actually learning way more than what we have in the curriculum because of how they had to receive the curriculum. I think I want to add one more too. So I'm thinking about what Bella said. One thing I do want to see come out of this is kids learning how to be kids again. So we grew up on the generation of seeing the life before technology and seeing life after technology, right? And I think that was great because we learned how to be kids outside, enjoy the park. We learned how to play outside on our blocks and run around, whether we lived in the suburbs or the city. We learned how to kind of like make friends organically, you know, without conversations about technology, which is obviously never gonna happen again. <laughs> but I wanna see kids learn how to really be kids again because I've, I've seen even before the pandemic, these, these kids, don't know how to be children with each other. Like they don't know how to interact with each other in a, a social setting without having like their phone like, I don't know how to you know, say hi, but I'm just gonna stare at you from across the room and act like somebody's texting me, like those behaviors. I kind of want to see kids kind of like, hey, can I throw this ball at you? You catch it? Let's play monkey in the middle. You be the monkey. Like, I think that would be really good to see kind of like kids kind of recreate the like reinvent the wheel now of what it looks like to be kids but yeah I would love to see that too these kids they're a different type of kid <laughs> like, like I mean I feel like I get what you're saying with the social skills of like you know you're always at home you're scrolling on social media you're taking classes on your phone sometimes and stuff like that so where you know you do need to learn how to socialize um again um but even outside of learning how to socialize again, these kids are dysfunctional. Like I would learn, like when I get into Mr. Holloway teacher mode, I'm all excited about the list and all this different stuff. That's when they want to try me. But then when I start getting on their ass and getting them together, that's when they like me. And I'm like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, why don't you? Why, why can't you take? Why don't you go from zero to a thousand for you to now be like, I like Mr. Holloway. Y'all can't. Help. But, <laughs> you know, so it's like space nowadays. <laughs> but it makes no sense. Like the kids that love me the most are the ones I really had to go off on. And that makes no sense to me. Um, but I feel like the social skills, yes. But with my age group, you know, in eighth grade and stuff like that, I feel like 
the social the social skills aren't too off. Um, you know, they are they're like us. You know, they're on social media. They're following different stuff. They're keeping up with different trends. They're talking to their friends and stuff like that about it. Um, so it's not too bad in eighth grade. I did see a little bit last year coming straight out of hybrid learning. Some kids being a little socially awkward. But outside of that, now that we're all in person, it's it's okay. Like they're they're not too bad and. They're hilarious because I feel like since they've been in the house scrolling on social media so much, they keep up with the trends. <laughs> like even one little girl, I, like I think for Christmas, she was like, um, "Yeah, you know, uh, my mom she been going to the store, she been going to Walmart, and she been spending like almost five hundred dollars a day." And I was like, "Oh, she getting you a Christmas gift?" She said, "Walmart sell Christmas gifts." She said, "Oh no, I don't do those type of gifts." She said, "She was like, I want that Hellfire bag. I'm trying to get them uh them cool brands." <laughs> 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 So it's like they, they definitely keep up with the trends and all that different stuff. So I would say that they're definitely being influenced by social media. So hopefully everything they're keeping up with is good. You know, that's the only that's the only downfall. You know, hopefully everything they're keeping yeah. up with is cool. But they're keeping up with good stuff. I don't think they're they're no different from us because I'll be right here scrolling just like them. <laughs> I, I feel like that's a whole nother topic in itself because <laughs> I know that we did grow up seeing like the beginning stages of social media with MySpace. Bebo, Skonex, like all of those different I things. About but like, oh. but like, oh my gosh. But like, oh. we used to do stuff like like for like, comment for comment, you know, but like, I feel like now this is to another level. It's a totally another level. And my concern is that social media will have detrimental impacts on this generation because I know it has detrimental impacts on me and my peers, like as millennials, because we're like, okay, people are making this amount of money off of YouTube or this amount of money off of this. Like people don't have to do the nine to five thing anymore. But that's that that's the pandemic. How to make that YouTube money? We trying to get that gold plaque. Justin, we trying to get our gold plaque because we trying to get these people to like, subscribe, and comment. Listen, listen. Once we get that gold plaque, this nine to five life is it. At this point, I'm starting to OnlyFans tomorrow because the way that look. Wait, don't end up on a Tinder swindler now. Oh, like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, not Tinder swindler. <laughs> Justin? <laughs> yeah, Justin, take it away. Take it away. All right, all right, guys. We can we can obviously keep going on all day with these with these how this conversation is going, but I really do want to once again want to take the time to thank both of you. I think you guys have really shared some very insightful, very you know educational and also very just just two very distinctive viewpoints that I really feel like is going to be a lot of great information for our listeners and viewers. And you know, I want to give again give you kudos because you we need more people like you. We need more black educators. We need more black educators that are knowledgeable in what they're doing, their history, and also just out there doing a great work. So shout outs to you guys and thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes, thank you guys. You guys are so fun and I learned so much from y'all. 
honestly, that I didn't really know even just with what educators have to deal with and what y'all dealt with during the pandemic. So I really appreciate you guys coming and taking the time to speak with us about it. So thank you. I just appreciate that y'all recognize the struggle and y'all have a whole podcast for what we deal with every day. <laughs> and I'm glad that Miss Love is in a whole different state saying, I see you. And I'm looking like, I see you too. <laughs> so <laughs> this was definitely great. Um, you know, so thank you for having me. Oh, oh follow me on Instagram, Logan Keefer Jones. And if you want to learn I about- I was waiting for it. If you're a teacher in the ELA department and you need some help, I got you. Oh, yes. Oh, I got I'm on Instagram at love on the rocks. Underscore. <laughs> if you need a good laugh or a good YouTube channel, please tune in. My name on my YouTube channel is Deani Love. I do book reviews, really funky book reviews, and I also do story times and vlogs because the girls will go get a one a weekend. So, you know, so. Yeah. We'll plug all of that in the video so people yeah. can, uh, like, like, yeah, get to y'all's pages and everything yeah. and follow you guys. But Yes, um, this is fun. So, good night, guys. <laughs> All right, guys. So, we're going to sign off on this note. It's been a pleasure having you guys view and listen. We'll have to see you next time. We out. All right.